Welcome to the SCOM podcast. This is our security and compliance podcast created by Quarter Cloud. I'm Kelly and I work at the marketing department. And I'm Phil from the technical team. And we're going to take you through all our technology in a really interesting way. Phil Talks Technical, where I keep it lighthearted with a selection of exciting guest speakers. Let's delve in. So thank you for joining us, David. It's really lovely to see you. Actually been a very long time since I've seen you, since COVID. Um, so it's a pleasure to have you here in our new offices. Um, Vectra is a very well-known tech and I think very well aligned and has been aligned with um, Quarter Cloud for a very long time. But I think it's really lovely to start having a bit of a conversation about visibility, why we see that as a really important pain point that we're trying to help with our customers and really how we can make sure that they can see what's on their network right now. So let's have a little bit of a discussion about how Vectra can help our customers with this. We're obviously going to touch a bit and discuss about visibility um, and really the importance of that and for an organisation and how Vectra supports our customers. We use it internally and also for anyone that might have never heard of Vectra today um, to learn a bit more about it. So why does visibility really matter for an organisation? Well, I think when you when you look at large complex networks or even small networks, they're not simple anymore. You know, the complexities inside most customers' networks are are huge uh, and they're not just a network anymore you know it could be the cloud could be SaaS applications they're running so having visibility of that has always been promised I guess by the sim world of saying we can get everything in one place right you get all these logs everything's in one place but as we saw with SolarWinds you know some of these tools didn't see all of these things they didn't have the visibility of that or they saw some things in their minutiae so they saw a bit of something but nothing strung it all together to say the sum of its parts is much more important or bigger a problem than you thought it was so i think we we've certainly seen that where people are going we thought we had visibility or we believe we had visibility but actually when you look at our estate that's evolved to such a size now even in like i said small companies it's evolved so big now that they really don't have the visibility they do and or they may have different tool sets that look at the visibility in all these different areas and nothing collates that together. So, you know, it's massively important, you know, seeing what's actually going on inside your network instead of that perimeter view that we've all known for many years. Um, it's just, it's not right. You know, we need to be knowing what's going on in the network and how people are behaving, how machines interact with each other, how software applications interact with each other, certainly from, you know, how accounts get used now. You know, it's important. Uh, and I don't think people realise what they don't know. They don't know, right? Yeah, I think so. Obviously, I think so. Obviously, kind of having those uh, a system that's clientless as well. It obviously, it can see everything. It's the interactions between the different devices, as you said, mm-hmm. what they're actually doing, picking up what's malicious. So I think it's really key. And because it's working in that way, you don't, you don't have to worry what type of device it is. Is it a printer? What is it? It's going to see that interaction, pick up the unusual traffic between it. You got a frog in your throat. <laughs> Okay. We've lost him. He's that excited. He's that excited, He's so excited about, about it. Like, <laughs> I can just feel it building up. I just need to cough. I was like, my neck. Do you want to do that bit again? Yeah. So obviously with Vectra, the key thing is that it's completely clientless. So it's seeing that kind of aerial view of everything that's going on in your network. And again, because it's clientless, you know it's seeing everything. And I think that's really, really key, especially as people move into lots of IoT devices and different types of devices on the network. And we all know kind of from the work that we've been doing in different areas that it takes one weak point on your network, you know, to get somebody in there. And you want to know if an attacker's in your network, you know, you, you, it gives you that visibility and confidence. I know when I was using Vectra that um, say you get a notification saying there's been this type of attack or something's going on, Vectra would be the first place you would go to say, look, have I been affected? Mm-hmm. Is something unusual going on? 
that dashboard gives you that confidence as soon as you look at it. And you've always mentioned the dashboard's very easy to use because that's quite an important part of the product, isn't it? It's quite... I mean, you jokingly said, but even if I looked at it, I would quickly see something wasn't quite right. I probably wouldn't be able to sort it. But it's a very clean product. And actually, has jokingly been said, you've said that people sometimes think it looks too easy. Like, it's so clean and it's so easy that you're like, it's not giving me enough noise. But it's actually because it's so concise and it's only giving you what you really need. Is that Yeah, fair? I think user interfaces are, are a dark art. You know, mm-hmm. we know that the, the Apples, the Androids of this world, have spent a lot of time, a lot of money trying to get that right. Yeah. Um, when you look at it from a SOC analyst perspective, um, it's hard to, you know, there's often the shotgun approach of give them all this data and it'll mm-hmm. all be fine. And, and even analysts go, I, I don't know what the hell's going on there. Yeah. There are other vendors out there that have the Space Invaders approach to their UI, which looks amazing in a SOC, but actually no one uses it like that. So we've always tried to... And I'm not an Apple fanboy, even though I've got my iPad in front of me, but we always go for the Apple-esque approach. It okay. should be easy to use. It should be easy to understand. It's intuitive. It doesn't need a 7,000-page manual to understand it or years of training. It should be for most SOC analysts. You can see it's a host that has a problem. Here are the detections you have. Mm-hmm. And actually, every detection in our appliance allows you to click on the little question mark button and tells you a one-pager why it's triggered, what's causing this, what you should okay. do to investigate that, and how you can verify this problem. So, yeah, it, it's... um. Our CTO down is fanatical about giving you high fidelity alerts that you can action on. So, you know, there are lots of things. Certainly, you know, the the last NCSC conference I went to up in Glasgow, they had a main stage event that talked about alert fatigue. You know, they're actually saying this is a problem. And we know that from the sim world. It's it's like trying to drink out of a fire hydrant. You can't teal, deal with all these alerts that are coming in. And they're having real problems with that. So giving someone that's very high fidelity, they understand it and can action on it, is key to our product. Yeah, because... Well, we've talked about it earlier today that most teams are very small, they're overworked, so to have so much information is a bit of a note, like... It's, you, you, stop, probably, you stop looking at it. If you get yeah. too much information, you stop looking. It's piling sand on top of sand. I think yeah, it's the, it's just, someone told me that once, and I thought that's a, a great analogy, that if, if, if you just keep putting more crap on top of more crap, it's, you're never going to get the answer, right? It's no, really no. hard to understand. I mean, if you get a high vector alert, you'll go and have a look. Right. Okay. Again, the way the information is presented in the console, you know, if it's in that top right quadrant where all your critical alerts are you will have a look at it, yeah. you know. Right. So and, and that's the real magic as well. When you're looking at things like that, you know, that the threat versus certainty matrix sort of view, that's been around for quite some time. Um, but it's often difficult when you talk to people going, look, you're going to see things in the low level stuff that you could look at at the end of the day if you've got anything to do. But at the moment, that's not doing anything bad. So it's that, that prioritization of saying, look at the criticals and highs, which should be sub 10 hosts a week sort of thing. When you look mm-hmm. at that, that's a real time saving. You know, one of the, some of the numbers we talk about in terms of efficiency for the SOC is like 34 times more efficient. And it sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually did it for a very large um, company recently can't talk about their name right now but they're a very large organization um and they it was literally hundreds of hours they were going to save uh, and they did these maths themselves so we were saying it should be around 34 percent 34 times that's what we see uh, they worked out with the size of the organization they were it was well over 100 times more efficient than the logs and, and alerts they were getting prior to that wow and that's something you can't get back, isn't it? Like time. And- well, not only can you not get the time back, uh, certainly in a lot of organisations, certainly smaller organisations, having a SOC analyst is, is a luxury. Um, right. If you lose that SOC analyst, hiring one is really hard as well. Well, we've talked a lot about that today, haven't we? About having the right people in the industry, them being trained, also them being 
good for the job like how do you know until they're put in that position so i think we all know that the hiring process within cybersecurity is so difficult and yeah. if you do get someone that is great they're a bit like gold dust aren't they so and, and this isn't just a problem for this tier one banks are telling us they can't hire people you know if you look at canary wharf they're all sort of saying we're well, hiring the same people they're just asking for more money, money. as they go around and the businesses just, yeah so you know it's not that this is a problem just for smaller companies that maybe don't have the sort of the financial reach of other organizations this is big tier one banks having similar problems it's you just can't get the people now that is because there is actually a shortage of smart people in the cybersecurity market mm. the universities are making a big difference to that and you're going to see a lot more of them yeah but right now there is definitely a bit of a blip where there just isn't enough people well yeah so the cybersecurity is growing so much quicker than the actual amount of yeah. people that can run it well and you think about the we talked about at the very start the scope of an organization's network organ the sas the all the stuff they're using now is way bigger than it used to be. Mm. So actually, it's not like you just need someone who understands how to reset a password and do things like that. You know, they, they have to be very skilled people. Um, and time doesn't stand still. You know, what I was doing 10, 15 years ago is not what I'm doing now by any stretch. No, and it was very interesting because we... Um back in august we had a few of our customers in and they did this whole thing didn't they where they were like oh who works in it and they'll put up their hands and they're like who specialise in cybersecurity and everyone kind of likes that they're like but who looks after all the cybersecurity and they all put their hands up and it was like well we've got to do it because we're in it but like we've had to become specialists because that's the way it's gone but i don't think any of them had an actual person in-house that you just can't get them coming no that was a cyber security specialist they've had to learn on the job or bring in tools like vectra to help them with that and and alleviate that and that support with that um i was going to say within the actual console like david mm-hmm. was saying you know that kind of the question marks within it sort of really you know when we've when we've done pocs with customers it's been a case of we'll do the poc over four weeks you know one a session a week and the customers are generally happy with the actual environment by the end of that time they don't need any additional training and when you when you go into an alert mm-hmm. and you click on it it really gives you a breakdown even before you go into it of why it's there you know what is it doing and then once you're in the alert it, there's like a, at the bottom side it'll say look what what has this actually done has it exfiltrated data what stage has it got to yeah so it's it's very, very easy and interactive to actually see what's going on and why it's there. Okay. And obviously the way that kind of Vectra's like best of breeding network detection response, but they integrate with lots of other systems as well around your endpoint to be able to then isolate hosts. Well, that's the good thing do. about it, isn't it? Because Vectra also is very complementary to other technologies that are out there. So it's it's even if you've got um, a tech stack and you think, oh, how's Vectra going to fit? It actually integrates with a lot of other things that you probably already have in-house. Yeah, we we had actually an internal call this morning that was on on the drive up to here, and um, we had a CISO on it who was at Vodafone and various other places, a very senior person. Um, And he was saying, you know, the old CISOs of getting out my ISO document and saying, are we compliant? They just, they don't exist anymore. You know, that's that's gone away. Mm. Um, And boards of organisations are a lot smarter. You know, they go, what are the chances of this being breached? How easy is it to breach us? Which I don't think boards would have asked CISOs or heads no. of SOC back in the day what, what that meant. Mm. Uh, and now they hit, see it in the news every day. And they're like, we don't want to be these people. You know, if it's our name in the news, we're going to be upset. So, you know, his point was, we want to buy the best inbreed products and we expect them to work together nicely. Yeah. You know, I think the days of... If they sort of, um, what do you call it? Um, I'm trying to think of the word, the, consu- the products that have many different things. What do they call them? Portfolio companies, where you've got, we've got a firewall, we've got a web filter, <laughs> we've got this, we've got that. Um, it, it's great for some small organizations. You know, I always re- go back to the ideas of a UTM firewall. You know, promise yep. the earth, it'll do everything. Reality was, you turn some of these features on, you get a pretty average firewall then as well. So, you know, that's, that's often the problem. Certainly when you get to organizations that care about security, they want the best in breed. Yep. They don't want to have to have one product that, made a good product once upon a time but acquired many other organizations and now you have an average 
other stuff if that makes sense and so, they're not a specialist are they necessarily yeah. they haven't done the research all the time i mean not talking about tech but just talking about your house build yep. um you know and going to see other people that done houses like when the builder had done the interior design that's kind of where when it had lost it like well, the builder should have then put an interior design in and not gone oh because well, i'm a builder i can do that too yep. it's, it's kind of diluting your skill or your skill set and what you're good at and what you're strong at so um that's kind of doing the same and we, we've seen that though aren't we and that's why we've got very specialist techs and very specialist pain points because they solve that particular problem that we're seeing yeah and a lot of these organizations don't have the skill sets to deal with some of these things so having a mm. good tool that can give them like i said actionable alerts or information they can understand quickly um is is very useful to these organizations because of the time spent the people you've got um you know it used to be was it a couple of years back the last one i saw with the m trends report it was 90 odd days before a breach was detected in an environment oh. if you or i had a someone in our home for 90 days and we didn't know we'd be like okay that's not cool well, that's very you know, creepy when you say it like that. Yeah. I've never really thought about that. Someone just sitting under the stairs. It, it happened for a long time. A lot of these, you know, even nation state attacks, when they're looking at it, they're on a network for a long time, mainly because they want to try and hide away from things. But it's also if you, you know, you, you think how complicated all of our networks are. Mm. I, I'll give you an example. Just recently, I upgraded my internet at home, made one little change, killed everything. That's just because I'm a nerd and my IT at home is ridiculously complicated. Yeah. But, you know, it took me... A day and a bit to get it back up and running, working the way it should be working. Mm. You can only imagine if I hack someone's network and drop into the network, I'm not going to understand that network straight away. It's going to take me some time to really get my head around, okay, what's in there? You might have insider knowledge. If it's an insider threat, that's different. But most threat actors end up in a in a new environment they know very little about. So there is a lot of, you know, this lateral, this recon in your environments, which is right in the middle of the network. And mm. and for the longest time, within a lot of security tools, that was a bit that was missing. You know, we were assuming the perimeter would stop everything. Um, I think we've all accepted now that, that doesn't work. Even Gartner's now saying, you know, the perimeter's not going to work. You are going to be breached. Will you detect them? Yeah. Um, and it's that speed to detect and high efficacy that's important. I think Vector will pick up the early stages of ransomware, won't it, as well? Mm-hmm. Obviously, the, that kind of pre-staging when they're in your network, they're doing the reconnaissance. That's the part you want. You want to pick these things up early before they actually become a breach. Well, there's, there's yeah. a reason we have the MITRE attack framework. We have the Lockheed Martin kill chain, as it was. Um, attackers have to behave in a certain way. You know, I always, I always joke when I talk to customers, it's a bit like a bank job, you know. How do you get in through the security? How do you get into the bank? How do you get to the vault? How do you get the money? How do you get the money out? Yeah. You know, those steps are the same steps. They've mm-hmm. always been that way and it will always be that way. It's the same with the attackers. It's get a foothold in the network, mm-hmm. make that persistent, look around in the network, understand what's there, escalate my privileges, move around, get deeper into the network, get the data I want. Now you could either say we'll encrypt it or we'll extract it and exfil it off the network. So most of the steps are very similar. Now, the tools they use to do that are very different. Don't get me wrong, but the steps are still the same. So what we're trying to do is lay tripwires for all of those steps in that MITRE attack framework and saying, okay, like Phil was saying, with ransomware, you know, if you get to the point saying some ransomware occurred, it's too late, it's happened, right? You want to get to the point going, okay, there's a a, a command and control channel that's owning this machine. They are openly looking for open SMB shares right now. Mm -hmm. Those are the steps. If you can get to that point and you're using orchestration or some other tool or even some of our integrations with the endpoints, you can isolate that host very quickly. And it's that speed. You know, we know ransomware is quick. It hurts. Yeah. You know, think of WannaCry. You know, that wasn't very clever, right? And it hurt (laughs) a lot of organizations. Yeah. And did you, uh, you had Vector before WannaCry, is that right? Or after? Before. Before. And... Well, Vectra was where we were looking, but obviously where I was working wasn't affected by WannaCry, but the first thing we did was 
hang on, what's happening? And we looked at the Vectra Did we dash. just get lucky? Looked at, looked at the Vectra <laughs> Dash one and went, hmm, nothing looks to be happening. Do, do we turn stuff off, it, off anyway? That was generally the conversation that we were having. Wow. You know, and obviously the Vectra was going, no, we don't, actually, because we, we had the confidence by looking at Vectra that we hadn't been affected. And, and was there a conversation then when you went on the dashboard, did you call Vectra and be like, should we be seeing something? Or was Yeah, we, bit... we spoke to the tech guys, you know, and obviously there's a, there's a lot, of, lot of people running Vectra, you know, so you're, yeah. you're kind of asking, saying, have you seen this anywhere else? Is, you know, yeah. and, but again, it's very easy in the dashboard to see if something's happening or not. It's just, it's right in front of you. It was, it was also, I think, how, uh, and Phil, when you were at Bolton, you know, the, the way some NHS trusts worked were very different. Mm. You know, it was always a given, well, the N3 network is a secure NHS network. No, it's just a connected conduit for all the hospitals to talk to each other. So if you've got that massively open and you get WannaCry, guess what? Because of WannaCry being partially a worm, it scans all up and down that network to try and find anyone that's hanging on the end of the N3 network yeah. with window shares. And it found a lot. And that's how a lot of people got infected yeah. across organisations as well. You know, there's, yeah. there's very few organisations that are so interconnected like the NHS right, trusts yeah. are yeah. that you only have to get one that hit it and it hurt because it, it propagated so quickly. Just went straight for it. Hmm. And if so, if you had had the dashboard, what like would it, it obviously it would have seen stuff, and it would have obviously supported if it had got in, and it would have mitigated obviously risk because you would have seen stuff happening. You would have been able to stop it in its tracks pretty quick. Well, you've got the integration with the endpoint security. Right. But obviously, as David was saying, you know, if you've got WannaCry, there's that command and control channel back out, so you, you'd be able to see that happening. You'd also be able to see it scanning files, so you know you would very quickly you would see it. that would end up in that yeah. top qu- top quadrant really quickly. And we were very quick to get out to the to the market of going, okay, these are the things we will see with WannaCry. It will right. be a critical host, but it was the Tor command and control. You're going to see lateral movement where it scans around for SMB shares. Yeah. Because it's a worm, you'll also see external scanning, which is unusual. So you get a different type of scanning. Yeah. And then you get um, the lateral movement where it tries to exploit the SMBV1 share. So there was at least three steps out of the five that you could have would have made it critical and you could have dealt with that long before bad happened. And wow. that's the key thing. And think, to give you another example, we've, I've had a few phone calls from our customers when there's been like attacks in Ireland mm-hmm. and, and other solo winds type of attacks. Yep. And they've said, the first question they say, would Vector have picked this up? And the answer is, yes, it would. And they go, okay, I'm not affected, thanks. No, but they just, they, just uh, they, they check and make sure, is it going to pick it up? And the always answer is yes, because it picks up that unusual behaviour. Yeah, we, we were actually quite gutted that none, well, not gutted for our customers, but gutted we didn't have a good example where a customer had us in and got breached by solar winds because we could have shown you right you know, and that that's a good example of we to the point you brought up originally which was the visibility you know mm. that was uh, an on-prem an e uh, an o365 it was there was lots of things happening through, in that. Wasn't it? so if you only saw bits of that which a lot of these organizations do we know microsoft was involved in that you know they got caught up in solar winds um so did FireEye. And we've got a lot of respect for these guys. They're very smart people. They're mandy inside of the business. They're some really smart instant responders. But yeah. they were only looking at it from an endpoint in the same perspective. They didn't tie it all together to go, what's going on? Now, I don't know exactly that's how it happened for them. But, you know, it, it seems to be that lots of these organizations saw bits of it, but not enough yeah. of it to say, okay, you need to deal with it. So, you know, when we looked at that and ran it into our environment to say, what would we have seen? You know, we would have seen everything all the way through the 0365, all the different account behaviors, uh, giving you a critical house long before they'd started exfilling this data. But, you know, it was an on-prem and 0365 type uh, scenario where, you know, the exfiltration was actually over 0365 by eDiscovery. So mm. it, it's really important that 
you know, let's say you had a tool that was just looking at 0365 logs and just another tool looking at networks. It's mm-hmm. unlikely they would have put them together unless someone was smart enough in the SOC to figure it out. And also sat there at that point at that time working, right? Because we were just saying exactly. that yeah. their chances are that this is not going to happen at 9 a.m. on a Monday when we've had a coffee. It generally yep. happens. Well, and, and the, in most of these organizations, I think, I can't remember the exact dates now, but the, the, most of these organizations, the command and control was up for a long time before bad happened. So they, again, in the network, in your house for a long time before they started doing bad. Well, they're sitting there waiting for you to go on holiday, aren't they, really? Often. Well, so like a lot of these breaches and attacks used to be right over Christmas time or right over a big yeah. holiday. Friday because, night. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no one's going to look. But that's the thing, you know, if you actually think about it being in your own house and if they had got in and were under the stairs, they're not going to try and steal put stuff if dad's in mum's in everyone's in but if we're all out then they're gonna then they're gonna sneak around and get out quite quick aren't they i think that's the key thing with vector as well that you're getting that the on-premise coverage and your virtual environment but you're also getting the office 365 views you you know mm-hmm. wherever you're hosting it's all in one pane glass yeah which is again basically talk about a solo ends one and that kind of correlation between the two yeah you get that complete picture of what's going on you know, well, and we, and we talk about we, we've talked a lot about external adversaries, but you know there's a lot of internal stuff that goes on. You get people that are upset, um, and, and and you need to be looking at that as well. So you know, which is why a lot of our privileged access controls that we put in place aren't looking at the privilege that that Phil has. He is allowed to do administrative stuff. What we learn is what how does he behave as an administrator. So it's right. observed privilege as opposed to inherent privilege, and that makes a big difference because if I owned Phil's credentials and did what he did. That's fine. But if I suddenly got hold of Phil's credentials and started dropping tables in an SQL database, he doesn't do that. Yeah. Uh, and that's a big difference. So that's a really important thing uh, to make sure you're doing it right. Or sending lots of data out. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've seen that in, in yeah. Vector quite a few times. It'll pick up. If somebody doesn't usually send a lot of data out, it'll go, this is unusual. Yeah. Right. And it's often the only, the only way you'd know that this was happening. But I'm guessing, because it's getting more and more sophisticated, they're probably doing t- tiny things that you... You know, like they're not going to do something like massive straight away. If they're in there for a long time, it'd be tiny little drip things, like maybe just slightly off the cusp. And that's kind of why the behaviour thing's quite important, isn't it? Because they're not. It's not like they're going in and doing some massive, huge things straight away. They're probably doing testing things and doing. And did I get away with that? Because I yep. think we did a podcast a while back, and someone was saying that someone. I think it was just small amounts from was emailing the FD, and it was like. 100 and 100 quid here 200 quid here but it was over like i think it was over like six years and it melted up to like millions and millions of pounds but it only did tiny so no one ever really reacted to it because it was such a small amount so i guess knowing someone's behavior and knowing that that probably they probably wouldn't normally do that's a really important part of it um, yeah with a lot of breaches the the whole low and slow approach has been yeah. around for a long time you know it's why why be too disruptive and and shout from the rafters i'm here sort of thing try and do things as as quietly as you can back to the call i said i had this morning with the CISO. you know yeah. one of his points was he hated it when some of these organizations and vendors came to him and went we will block all known and unknown malware it's just a ridiculous comment to make it's impossible mm. you know we never profess to detect every single activity that might happen but it's picking up enough of the breadcrumbs to tie it together and say as a whole again like i said this is a bigger problem so you know there are going to be things that it's just not possible to see you don't see you have to rely on an edr because it's got we can't see memory scraping when on the client sort of thing. But when you, com- when you combine all that together, the sum of its parts, then actually it's really easy to go, this is a big problem, and makes it yeah. way, way harder for attackers to, to stealthily move around in the network. So, so, David, do you want to tell us a bit about you know, how the machine learning works within Vectra? Some people call it AI, but obviously you know, the machine learning, what yeah. it actually does to sort of pick up those detections. Yeah, no problem. So I think it's a big difference, and I think this is one thing 
we hear all the time. Everyone's got AI right now. I think my TV says it's got AI built in. You know, the Alexa devices at home all have AI built in, and they do to a degree. Um, they're all using some form of machine learning. Um, if you go under the hood of you know data science, machine learning, all the maths, deep learning for AI, all that kind of thing, um, there's many different tools you can use. Um, at home, not, a few of us may own a Swiss Army knife, but it wouldn't be in the kitchen door to open a can of beans, right? You can do it with a Swiss Army knife, but you wouldn't. It's not the right tool for the job. You will have a tin opener. Um, and when you're looking at AI and machine learning, that's really important. So our data scientists spend a lot of time going, what's the right tool to use? There are lots of companies that rely heavily on things like Bayesian estimation, which is, think of the old anti-spam days, it's really useful. It's what's the probability of this being X or Y? Um, and that's great, but it doesn't fix all problems. It's not great over length timelines and things like that. So, you know, it's picking the right tool for the job. So every detection we have may use a different type of AI. Um, what's also really important is the best data scientists in the world can build you a model to look for something. It's the for something they don't know normally. Data scientists aren't security experts. So, you know, when you when we talk about it, we always talk, it's a combination of both security research and data science to build these models and then use the right AI or machine learning to find these things within it. Um, we've had many organizations with uh, come to us going, we love what you do, this is really good, but we've got some of the best data scientists in the world, we'll do this ourselves. Um, and some of these organizations were very large and they came to us and we went, we can't argue with that. You probably do have better data scientists than us, you know, fair enough. Um, but they came back very quickly going, yeah, without that bit on the left, that security research, it's really hard to build a model unless you know what you're looking for. And that, that's kind of the point, you know, building these models is a, is a combination of really enhanced security research and knowing how attackers behave to then build the right models and then those models being built on the right tool set. So, um, Something I said in a, in a press interview recently, which is not all AI is created equal. I think if anyone's testing these tools, um, they should speak for themselves. You know, we've often said for a long time, you know, if, if you're going to put us into your network, turn off all VPN connections, you know, get us up to the latest firmware. But there should be no need for us to VPN onto your box and fettle away in the back end. That's not that's not the way AI works. So if you're working with any organization that says to you, well, we'll need a VPN connection. Oh, it's just for updates. Um, I would always specify that, you know, say, OK, what updates? You know, how much data are you going to send over it? Because we know lots of our competitors will have these VPN connections and they'll do manual searching or bro searches to look for bad so they can give a report to the customer saying, look, the sky's falling. Um, which is great. You know, that's a great sales tool. Uh, and often, you know, we talk about this a lot when, you know, they might put us in. And if bad's not going on in your environment, you might see some um, behavioral things that are strange you need to look at. There might be some scanners in your network that will show up and all the rest of it. But it could be you don't see a great deal, um, which is why we always say, look, you need to test this. You know, so, you know, don't don't rely on us coming back with your report telling you that your network's terrible and the sky's falling because that's normally smoke mirrors and people are lying to you or they, they'll find something that's not really that important and old browser plug-in or something. But, you know, they'll find these things. So, you know, one thing we've been talking a lot about recently is, you know, the hardest conversation I have with organizations when they're POVing anyone's product and including our own is, yeah, but you're testing it wrong because that sounds like such a stupid comment to make. Again, yeah, but we've been doing it this way for years and this is how we test either network, network devices or whatever it's going on. And it's not to say it's bad, but if you're thinking of, of, of CVEs, vulnerabilities in code and all the rest of it, yeah, that's still a problem. And yeah, you should still patch it. But you look at the latest research, 70% of attacks aren't because of a CVE, they're because of an account that was compromised. Mm. So it's irrelevant that you've got any... It, not relevant. It's it's not that they're using these vulnerabilities in your code when they're in the network. They're just getting hold of high-value credentials and then they can move wherever they want. Yeah. So... A lot of organizations, when they test it, will run just a basic uh, 
scan are we vulnerable okay well you didn't detect those things well it's not relevant because you're talking about a very specific technique tool to do something that's not what we're trying to look for we're looking for they've actually exploited that vulnerability and they're doing things with it so um yeah it's something we're going to make a big noise about very soon but we're certainly sort of trying to push people to say, you know, if you're going to test things, do it this way. There's a reason the Bank of England came up with CBEST testing. You know, there is a start, middle and an end. You know, there's progression. They're doing things. Not a lot of people would go, we've got in, we've done a scan, we've got the keys to the kingdom, we win. I said, well, what did you do with those credentials? Well, nothing. We haven't done the attack then. You know, you've got to go to that next yeah. level sort of thing. So it's, it's really important when you're, when you're thinking about AI, how people work and how you test it you do it right and that's why partners like court cloud you know can offer those services where we will actually go in and help test for Mm. vectra so you know it's not us saying do it this way it's the partners are actually going look they're right this is how you should be testing products in this type of environment so david what about you know this product's kind of tailored to somebody's own environment isn't it It sort of it learns what's normal in their environment do you want to talk us through a little bit about how that works and obviously that then makes it effectively a product tailored for their own organization isn't it yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, to the point we were just talking about a minute ago with the AI and ML, I probably didn't go into enough depth of there. But, you know, when you're looking at AI models and ML models, you know, there's, there's a thing called supervised or unsupervised machine learning. And unsupervised is, is like you said, it's, it's learning what's in your environment. So you have to be very careful. There's a double-edged sword with that because I was in an interesting event a couple of years back now where there was someone in front of me, another organization, another vendor, uh, and a very smart lady in the audience, who clearly was a data scientist, went, so if you use solely unsupervised machine learning, can you learn bad as good? And to my amazement, the, the guy from the vendor said, yes, that's true. So that's the, the sort of thing you're thinking about when you're talking about machine learning. If you use solely unsupervised, if bad is already in there, the person is already in your house and your CCTV has learned that's a normal it. person. Yeah. They'll just go, oh, yeah. it's another member of the family. Exactly. It's a normal person that happens. So right. we are very specific to use both combination of supervised and unsupervised so the supervised is basically us pre-training these algorithms in the lab to look for command and control to look for behavior mm-hmm. uh, that's very specific but then unsupervised is amazingly useful for things like user behavior how do accounts get used how does phil's admin credentials right. get used that's when that type of model works really well so it, it's that combination of those and the right type of ai ml under the hood that makes a big difference. So, yeah, you're right. It, it basically is learning how you behave in your environment and tailoring it to that organisation because everyone behaves differently, right? So is that what makes Vectra so special? Because you've got basically the, the right tools you pick for the right job and then you've also got the best of both worlds. You've got, yeah, supervised and unsupervised. Is that really, if you look under the hood of what makes Vectra so special? I, I think that's a big part of it. I would say the one thing... I see the most with a lot of vendors out there is that there's a, there's a thought of unusual behavior. Now, if you ever remember, Phil, I'm sure you went through this with the UEBA days of user behavioral analytics. Um, guess what? Everyone behaves weird all the time. And it's just another source of, of a minefield of data. Um, so what we're looking for is not what's unusual, what's bad. And, and that sounds really flippant in the ways of, well, okay, unusual is bad, right? But it isn't. If you're, if you're trying to get to that high efficacy I spoke to right at the start, you can't just look for what's unusual. You know, anomaly detection engines, which there are a lot of them out there and a lot of our competitors do a very similar approach. Um, if it's just unusual, it's very rare that's bad. We, we worked with an e-commerce company um, a couple of years back now, right in the middle of Black Friday or just before Black Friday, right. and the other company being predominantly looking at what was unusual went oh there's been a massive spike over here it must be a a bad thing they went no it's black friday Friday. there's a lot of data going through our networks and and we didn't but when they ran the tests we did detect all the bad in there so 
you know, you need to be looking for AI that's looking for bad, not just unusual. But I guess also, I'm not, but last year, there would have been a lot of unusual activity. Yeah. Because we all were in a completely different world. So I'm guessing you could have got an awful lot of stuff if you didn't have Vectra. And you'd be like, oh my God, what's unusual? Well, where obviously Vectra would have been able to start seeing, well, that's that that's a new that's a new unusual or like you know uh, it, like absolutely a, right yeah, yeah you've, you've got to when you've got these things that are learning they have to constantly evolve and learn you know a yeah. lot of organizations their their tool sets their sock way of doing things was assuming that ui and everyone else went to the office right with a few remote users suddenly overnight with covid everyone behaved very differently so you can imagine and i've had conversations with people that work in sock teams it just was a minefield they're like you know we, we've got to second guess what we think's going on but you know what we never saw before we're now seeing people are what i was jokingly referred to as bring your own disaster they're using machines that are riddled with stuff their kids have installed on it and all this kind of stuff and the sock analysts are like what is this and actually it's, it's quite benign it's not attacking their network but that machine that someone's using for work is riddled with nasties yeah um but things they didn't have to deal with before so yeah you're right you know the way the pandemic has made us all work has also made the way that SOC analysts look at bad as different. You yeah. know? And, and they've got, you know, again, it comes down to the fact that now we're using more SaaS services, we're using more IS, we're using more cloud. You know, now we've got remote workers. You know, if you think in the last two, three years, the, the world has evolved so much that that typical approach, that old CISO approach of going, are we compliant with ISO? It's just not going to work like that. And I don't think it'll ever go back to the way it was before, and I don't think it's going to get any simpler, that's for sure. When, when I was kind of looking at Vectra, it, w- it would pick up some some unusual things um, for me, things like, you know, if somebody was typing on a non-UK keyboard, it would pick up. And um, We used to get things like SMB brute force attacks, and when you looked at that, you'd realise that there was a script with a password that expired that was then therefore not running. It was a great way of just seeing, OK, I need to fix that because that's not working. So... You know, have, how how's things evolved within Vectra and sort of the thing detections that you have to keep it kind of relevant, I suppose? Yeah, that's no, a good point. I think, um, you know, all of the models that are on our platform are constantly under review. You know, all of these things are tested for their efficacy, their their value, how much, how many times they fire in different organizations. So customers that do want to provide anonymized data back to us, we can sort of say this fires loads over here. And also when we build new models to look for new types of techniques that are being used, we'll always put those into our our, our beta customers or our our early adopters to see, okay, if we drop this model in, how noisy does it get? Um, And there have been models we've put over the years that have gone, whoa, okay, that doesn't work. That just goes crazy in a lot of these organizations. Um, But on the flip side, you're quite right. There are some models that we deprecate. They go, they're just, they're not as high value as they used to be. Um, The brute forcing is, is used useful in some areas but actually if it's an smb one it's less certain threshold does it make sense because it probably is just a machine or mm-hmm. you know if it's like eight attempts we've all done that eight times i've got our password right it'll happen a lot so yeah it's constantly under review you know our, our all of our models are constantly being reviewed i would say every release which is typically once a month two three algorithms are either updated or new ones are in, included into the platform so that's that's the beauty of it being as a service is all of that's done for you but yeah that, that is often the problem if you think about you know i was talking about the sim world you know when you first get your sim installed after that six months of doing so um it's amazing the world looks great but then six months 18 months later it's suddenly not as relevant as it was and you probably don't have those staff on board to fettle all of those sim rules that you had or you're not going to get a contractor back in to do it so the value of a lot of these things drops off um and in security world as we know 
18 months ago is a very different landscape to what it is today. So Mm -hmm. if these platforms and these tools you're using aren't keeping you up to date and deprecating things that just don't add any relevance anymore, yeah, it's just, it's not useful for an organization. So you you want tooling like ours and and any security tool really to be relevant and up to date. So let's talk about the future then. What else is coming in? What's the the plans for Vectra sort of growing it going forward? Is there anything you're not allowed to tell us that you can tell us? No, we're always very open with with our partners and our customers. You know, I would say cloud is the big part of it, right? Cloud Mm -hmm. is, is huge. Um, wrapping our arms around what that means is very different. Obviously, we, we started in the NDR market, the network detection response. We're now looking at uh, AWS IaaS platforms. We're looking at Azure IaaS platforms. We're getting into GCP. So, And that's still thinking of lift and shift hardware and there's yeah. a network with machine and whatever. Um, but what very recently we've we've got into the O three six five, like I said, with solar winds, that would have been a big differently. So that's been around, I think we've been running that now for about six months. But it was very interesting just how much more we saw. Um, to the point of even Microsoft said, you use our API way different to everyone else. And some of the calls we were making gave us a lot of insights into it. And even they were surprised, going, well, why are you doing this? And we'd explain, they were like, oh, yeah, that does give you a lot of information. So, you know, it's it's making sure, again, the data scientists are, are mining the data to its most efficiency. So when you get into SaaS services, it is more log-based, typically. Um, but there are also other secondary lookups you can do. And if you combine that with stuff we've got on the network and all the rest of it, that the, again, the greater some of its parts makes a big difference. But, um, yeah, the, the next big part, I would say, for us is more SaaS platform. Um, Detect for AWS has just recently been released. What that means is we're looking at the control plane for AWS. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not that there's a machine on there, but if, you know, Phil, again, I use you as an example. I know you're not a rogue user, but... Um, <laughs> you never know. Yeah, you, you, you do never know. They'd <laughs> say Phil suddenly decides to want to make his own crypto mining industry out of quarter cloud servers in AWS. Um, if they were micro-machines five dollars a month no one's probably going to notice but you can often see that people might spin up their own c2 infrastructure on a good company's environment because it's trusted no one's going to block that um so you know that's a big thing both control plane for uh, aws which we've got now azure is coming right down the pipe to make sure that you know what is the configuration of your environments is covered because aws typically you think about leaky buckets and things like that wasn't inherently a security flaw in aws it was just someone didn't configure it right um and when you look at the complexities, we did this very recently, even internally, we were running a whole test environment to, to, to showcase Defense for AWS. Mm-hmm. Um, just getting the lab to work for us in a small organization in AWS was a nightmare. It's really complicated. You know, when you, and, and not for most organizations, but the level of depth we had to go into it and the security we were turning on and all the logs we were looking at, it's not easy. So it's not like any of these security people that are in the cloud world are bad. It's just, it's a much bigger uh, a bigger job to deal with and you often don't appreciate the knock-on effects of getting one thing wrong what that happens further down the line we we talked about it today on the call i was on where the role you log into to aws initially isn't always the role you then assume to do something stitching that bag is now on impossible with guard duty they don't do it so it's really important to say okay well how do i find out who actually did this behavior and am i learning how that behavior gets used so the cloud is a big part of that we are expanding into all different facets of that but but also to make sure we can provide the whole platform in a way that our customers find relevant and want you know typically you're talking about organizations that may have started in the physical building world you know i would say most startups nowadays they don't have a server room, they don't have servers, it's all in the cloud. So, you know, it's yeah. Office 365, it's Azure services, it's this, it's that. You know, that's how 
a lot of these startups work and multi-million dollar companies in the US they they don't have server rooms they don't need them they just everything's done in the cloud so again it's it's very easy even if you take a a multi-cloud approach to lose IP because someone made a mistake with configuration and it's not even fair like I said to blame people because you know how you configured AWS six months ago is probably very different to how you configure it now in some areas it's it's constantly evolving so it's a much harder thing to secure so having ai having machine learning looking at uh, the control plane the management of these these uh, cloud platforms is, is a big big thing so you talked about the kind of ease of getting the logs out of aws it's a, it's a native integration this isn't it with Vector? Correct. so it's yeah, yeah. simple for people to set up and Yep. Yeah, it's literally a couple of clicks for things like that. Same with Office 365. You know, we, we basically spin up a virtual center that will ingest the data, whether it be logs or whatever it might be. Uh, and then the brain is the, the part of that, that that is dealing with that. So my point I was going to say actually earlier about how people are moving, we're doing the same thing, whereas we're going to move our platform into a fully SaaS operation. So O365 defense, uh, Detect for AWS can be purely SaaS now if you don't have any on-prem and you don't want to host any hardware, we'll do it for you. So we're seeing more and more of that becoming a big thing. Thing.